Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is just a reminder that everything on the podcast is intended to be informational, educational, and entertaining. This is no way a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic process. If you find yourself in need of more direct support, please reach out for professional help. Or if you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or call 911. It's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you're listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Today, I want to say that, um, yeah, we're going to recap 2020, you know, hindsight in 2020. And to share this space with me today, um, I'm joined by my producer, who also happens to be my hubby, uh, Jay Sugg. How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Yes. So we are rounding out to the year 2020. Uh, which has been um, a year for the books, to say the least. Um, Definitely history-making in regards to many things that have taken place. And I thought it would be nice to just reflect on some of the lessons I learned in 2020. And that's what we're going to kind of talk about. Some of these lessons um, I recall were sparked by incidents that have happened and kind of my takeaway and how I shifted and changed because of them. And some are just observations over the years. So um, there's no countdown. I thought about doing 20 things I learned in 2020 and instead I'm just going to talk about it. (laughs) So in no particular order, um, I think one of the things that Jay and I have used to notate how long 2020 has felt as well um, as like how fast it went by. So I feel like I'm constantly stuck in this space and time where I feel like something was just yesterday, but man, I feel like it was 10 years ago. (laughs) So one thing that we would say is Kobe died this year. Like, wow. You know, Kobe Bryant's death, along with everyone else who was on the plane, um, his daughter, her teammate, um, their parents, the pilot, that seemed like so long ago to me. Like to tell me that that was earlier this year feels really like crazy. And so I was like, well, what, what did we learn? First of all, around the time of Kobe's, so Jay was my very first guest on this podcast. So one thing I want to say is that it feels like I've been doing this podcast forever. (laughs) (laughs) Like this is something that I have been doing for many years. It brings me so much fulfillment. And we did not start this podcast until February mm-hmm. of 2020. And Jay was my first guest and my last guest of 2020. So I like how that's coming full circle. Yeah, full circle. I like it. Um, and we talked about sports trauma. And Kobe's death was one of the things that we talked about. And some things that I really have taken away is that, one, many people are connected more in death than they are in life. So when someone like a Kobe Bryant, who is an international celebrity, passes away or dies, there are oftentimes people who will come together and sharing in the morning of that loss. But what's so interesting to me is in humanity, we oftentimes find it so difficult to come together and share in our humanity of life. 
And so that stuck out to me that the death of someone who has influenced many people can bring people together, yet we can't find space sometimes to be connected in the life and when we're alive. And so that that happened. I also think that so many people are ill-equipped to hold the complexities of humanity. So when Kobe died, there were some people who were um, extremely uh, moved uh, by the tributes that were being paid to him and his legacy and all of the great things that he's done. And then there were those who couldn't hold space for that because of other things that he had done or had allegedly done. And I, I'm just taking that. Um, I've seen time and time again, whether we're talking about mask or mo- no mask, whether we're talking about vaccination or no vaccination, whether we're talking about Biden or Trump, um, there has just been an ill-equipped display for people to be able to hold complexity and nuance. The either or, the black or white, the this or that um, has really been prevalent in 2020. Um, And then I also just think that it was more pronounced to me that the lives and deaths of celebrities and influential people are experienced differently than the lives and deaths of what we would call the everyday person. Mm -hmm. That the loss of a celebrity due to cancer or COVID or something can bring about all of this compassion for the family who has lost that person to everyone who was connected to the, that person, even if they didn't know them personally and like all of this compassion. And yet there are like hundreds of thousands of people who have died exactly. this year. Yeah. And it's just like, eh, let's move on. So those are some of my takeaways, all just stemming from like, Kobe died this year. So anything you want to add to those to that part? Kind of the same thing, um, you know, with Chadwick Boseman. And I think the reason why it is because we don't know, you know, John Doe who passed away from COVID, but because we see Kobe on TV, because we see Chadwick in his films, we have this feeling that we know at least a piece of them. So that's why we have that collective mourning as a community mm-hmm. instead of having outrage over the three hundred years. Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely true. I also think it shows the power of social media. So media has been around for a really long time. And, you know, since, you know, television, even radio, ever since we have been able to broadcast, um, cast our voices broadly, you know, people have felt a connection with people that they don't know personally. I think the phenomenon of social media, though, is connecting the average person to the average person in ways that they don't feel, you know, connected to. I will even say for me, there have been people that maybe I'll do a training and they'll say, oh my God, I feel like I've had clients say this too. Well, I feel like I know you. I listen to your podcast, (laughs) right? And and, and I think it's true that when you have any kind of public facing role, and you're transparent, well, I take that back. You don't even have to be transparent. I will say that whatever your public-facing role presents, people are attracted to that or repelled, but they feel like they know it. Mm-hmm. You know, I will say that I, I choose to be very transparent. And so what, you, what you're hearing is what you get. What you see is what you get. But that's not always the case. And I reserve that people who, especially actors who are in a movie, you, you don't know that person. You know <laughs> that character. As a matter of fact, I wish I knew his name. So I'm on Bones. I'm watching Bones. I did not watch it when it regularly came on. But he was like, you'll like it. And I do. 
I'm, all, I'm already on season five. But there was this, I don't know this guy's name. He's a black actor. He played in um, The Wood. He was the tall, bald guy. So he played in um, Why Did I Get Married? He played, you know, he played in all these roles. He annoys me in every single role he plays. And when he showed up on Bones, I was like, you know what? I have never seen this man in a movie or show and actually liked him. Richard T. Jones. Richard T. Jones. Yes. Can't stand him. Now, is that fair? I don't know Richard T. Jones. He could be a very nice guy. But he gets cast in some roles that make me want to slap him. And I, I just want to say that to say sometimes the people we see are not the people they are. And I mean that both ways. There is an attraction to religious leaders and politicians and all of these different things. And I think there is this desire that they are actually transparent in who they appear to be. But they're not always. So anyway, that wasn't even on the list. But uh, take away. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I think something else I learned this year was the power of transparency. What a great segue. I didn't even plan that. Um, sometime, I think it was in March, um, I did a video. It was around a nine now. Y'all know I've been doing videos for <laughs> two years. Therapy Thursday videos, four to six minutes on some topic that I think will help people. And, and not a lot of people watch those videos. That's fine. I did a nine minute video. Um, after Ahmaud Aubrey was murdered, it was an ugly private. I call it the ugly cry video. <laughs> it was, it was real. It was raw. It was transparent. And I, in some ways, think that that video was a launch pad for me in many ways. In, in some ways, it was a launch pad into activism that I had not uh, previously engaged in for numerous reasons. Um, but I do remember that video. And I remember while the most, at least on social media, views that I've gotten for a Therapy Thursday video on a good day might have been like 50. You know, there were like two, 3,000 people who watched this video. And a lot of the feedback was that it was very difficult to watch because it was very authentic. Um, I did a podcast on this. You can go back and listen to it. How I... Or maybe it was, I did a Therapy Thursday on it. You know, the pers the reception that I got and, and things like that. But what I'm taking away is I have no regrets. I have no shame. Um, I was transparent in public. And I think it, it, um, it got through to some people who would otherwise not have truly heard my heart. I think it was a launch into, all I know is my business took off after that. Um, in related ways to social social justice issues in unrelated ways, but it's not really unrelated because trauma is related to pretty much everything. But the point is, I don't know, for me, I took away that when I'm able and willing to be vulnerable and transparent, um, then the impact that I hope to have on this world is being felt. And then I get more opportunities to use my gifts. So that's a big takeaway. Um, along the lines of like social justice, um, my a big takeaway from this year is that silence speaks so loudly. The opportunities True. for people to actually use their voice, their platforms, and their resources to address social justice issues this year, there were no shortage of opportunities, yet and still there are people who remain silent. And I just, yeah, that speaks volumes. Their silence speaks volumes. Um, and 
a big takeaway is I was contacted by a number of orgs, corporations, and things that wanted to do social justice work, wanted to understand the impact of trauma on things like racism and systemic oppression. And uh, they talk a bit gay. But when I came back and said, this ain't about checking a box or making yourself look good, but it's about culture shift. Let me tell you, I didn't hear back from a lot of them. So mm-hmm. that might've been a well-known thing for most people, but uh, it really spoke volumes. More silence. Me. More silence. Yes, more silence. You know, it was this immediate, and it's to me, it stems to that. And oh my God, we got to do something. What can we do? It, 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 the white savior complex came in. Let's throw some resources at it. And and when I was very explicit, that change starts from the head, and we have to have this accordion approach. Let me let me provide support from the bottom up, and let me provide some coaching to do some cultural change from the top down. Yeah, that wasn't as receptive. Time, money, energy, resources. That is what goes into culture shift. So that was a big deal. Um, I also had a personal experience where I was able to sit down with uh, a friend of mine, someone that I had really been close to in the past. And then we had gotten distanced, um, but hadn't really talked about it. And yeah, it was a really good conversation. So I think a takeaway for me is that dialogue matters. It is so important, but it's not enough. After we dialogue, we need, I need to see some action. Mm-hmm. After we dialogue, I need to be moved to action. So hopefully what's come through over almost a year of podcasting is I don't ask people to do anything I'm not willing to do myself. Not a client, not a corporation, not a friend. Um, I put my mouth where my money, I put my, what is it? My money where my mouth is. (laughs) (laughs) I put something somewhere. Yeah, I I do. I walk the walk. So anything around that for you? No, just um, the kind of where you were going with the the silence. Um, Silence does indeed speak volumes. So when you are not saying anything, we know exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing about it. This is also what silence does. I will I will disagree with my producer hubby in the sense that when you're silent, I don't know exactly what you're saying, but you're leaving my brain to make it up. And if I got to fill in the pieces, I'm going to fill in those pieces based on my lived experiences. Mm -hmm. So maybe your silence is not at all what I'm thinking your silence is. But the fact that you're silent doesn't provide the opportunity for that to be contradicted. And so when people are sitting in silence, I do believe that there's a lot of fear and there are a lot of things that maybe they're not intentionally saying, I side with the oppressor or I side with supremacy or I side with the patriarchy or whatever the known enemy is at the time, but your silence leaves interpretation. And so um, I think that's important, but yeah, excellent point. Anything else on that? No, we good. Okay. Um... <laughs> Another takeaway from 2020, y'all, my work is vital. That's a takeaway. Um, and and I, I, I say that from many perspectives. Some data that have led me to that conclusion is one, I flourished from a business perspective during a pandemic, mm-hmm. during a time when many small businesses failed and the statistics for Black-owned small businesses were also higher in disparities of failing. And I thrived. Um, and so I, I don't think that's a direct function of me 
Shonda, but I do truly know that it's a function of what I bring, my gift and the necessity that, that, uh, that, what am I saying? That my, the world needs my gift. (laughs) And, and that became evident to me this year. And so I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful for all of the clients, um, whether it's therapy clients or consulting clients that, that trusted me during such a vital time to help bring them hope and clarity and peace um, to help them feel seen, heard, understood. Um, and, and I was really able to do that. And so I am thankful for Labors of Love um, and all that she is and all that she will grow to be. I didn't know Labors of Love was a her. Uh, no. You know, that... it just kind of came out. Okay. I might have been my first time ever calling her she. But... I, think it, I think it is. Okay, well, That's... she is she. Okay. Right. Here's, here's war. Yeah, war. you know. <laughs> No gender bias here. I hear it. <laughs> um, and with that, I want to say gratitude is real. Like being able to sit in some of the hardest times and still have gratitude, it's not to minimize or take away the pain or the reality of the challenging things that are going on, but it is literally to help people understand that gratitude releases dopamine. And dopamine can counteract some of the the cortisol and other stress chemicals that uh, that are challenging for us. And so I have leaned into gratitude many times this year. I have walked with people into gratitude and it has been tremendously helpful. Know that the goal isn't to try to trick away <laughs> the challenges, but it is to be able to acknowledge that even when things are really, really hard, if I can have gratitude for the breath I'm taking right now, then I am in some ways helping to um, bring perspective um, that there are some things I can be grateful for. And I know that's been hard this year because it has been challenging for so many people. The, the, the amount of loss that has taken place this year is more than I personally have ever experienced in my life mm-hmm. when I watch it from a global perspective. Um, I think the effects of this year, we won't even begin to, be able to quantify or have data about for maybe the next five years. Maybe more. Maybe more. But um, leaning into gratitude as hard as it is during this time. And I'm hoping that in addition to a collective sense of gratitude, that we allow space for a collective mourning to take place. There is so much to be mourned this year. And um, I liken mourning or lack of mourning to constipation. We all need to get backed up. We need to allow it to happen. And some of us can't mourn 2020 because we haven't mourned 1980. (laughs) We haven't mourned 1985 or 2001. And so if you're a person who's backed up in grief, let's have some compassion that it may be very difficult to mourn 2020 right now, all the things you've lost. And that could result in um, what looks like apathy. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's not apathy. So when you see a person who seems apathetic or like they don't care, let's let's ask ourselves what else could be true. I think that's a huge takeaway for me this year. My three questions. When you get to a thought or a belief, here are three questions you can ask yourself to explore. First question is who told me that or where do I where did I learn it? Let's just get curious about where these thoughts and beliefs are coming from. The second question is what else could be true? What are other possibilities? Try to come up with at least three. 
And the third question is, who is benefiting or being harmed by my holding on to this belief or this thought? And the goal of that is not to get rid of beliefs or thoughts, but it's to explore them, to understand that we have the capacity to filter what comes in and what stays in. And I think that's super important. I would think curiosity. Um, that's kind of like one of the words of the year, I would say, at least for you. Um, mm-hmm. You've had a very curious year. You just kind of delve into things. It's true. Thank you. Curiosity. Because with curiosity, I don't have to come up with an answer. If I if I ask a question, I got to figure out why. I've really tried to eliminate why from my vocabulary, even for myself. Not why do you feel that way? Why am I thinking that? You know, even what's wrong with me? I'm curious. I'm curious about this feeling I'm having. Let me explore that. I'm curious. So curiosity has really let me off the hook, first of all, from having to have all the answers, which I've convinced myself sometime in life that I had to have. And when I can get curious with myself, I can be curious with other people. Then I don't have to have an answer for them either. And so, yeah, curiosity has been a big deal for me. Thank you for that. Anything? Um, so here's another lesson. Good plans and bad timing can equal failure. So this, I thought about Quibi, right? I think Quibi was a really good idea. Short um, mini videos and shows and things that would really appeal to think of the, the big city commuter who has to take a bus or a subway or, you know, spends a lot of time in transit, but doesn't want to commit to a long show. I like, I think the idea was good, but then there was a pandemic <laughs> and that, that timing did not bode well. And there was a lot of money lost on that. And, um, I don't know. That's just a takeaway for me to, to, to realize that an excellent plan. Um, timing is important. Um, so yeah. What is it? Uh, Ooh, here's a good one, y'all. This year I have really learned that I don't have to stay in places where my needs are not being met. Ooh, that's something. Like to really, um, start to realize that when I am in relationship, that's a relationship with another person. That's a relationship with an institution. It's a relationship with a job, a relationship with anything. I don't have to remain in in relationship with people in places where my needs are not being met. And for me, that was huge because I am a classic overstayer. I have overstayed at jobs. I have overstayed in relationships um, for a number of reasons. Some are like, I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. I don't want them to be mad at me. Maybe I don't feel that I have the right to leave. Maybe I've convinced myself that my needs are being met. That I've looked at what's happening. I've said, oh, well, maybe this is how it is or how it should be. And I've really learned really towards the end of this uh, second half of 2020 that I don't have to stay. Now, I want to be fair and clear. That doesn't mean that I have already left all the relationships that are no longer meeting my needs. <laughs> it just means that first step, I realize I don't have to. And I've said this time and time again this year, that change is a few steps down the line. The first step is just recognizing that I can change or that I don't have to do things the way I've always done them. So that is huge, which also led me to understand resentment, where resentment was in my life that I didn't even recognize it. I had these little posits of resentment all over my life because I was in relationships where my needs weren't being met, but I felt like I was giving. I was giving more than I was receiving. Or I was meeting expectations and others weren't. And so I started to get resentful. 
And the thing about resentment is it doesn't hurt the other person. It doesn't even impact the other person. Oftentimes they don't even know. know. Right? So you walking around being impacted and it's manifesting in your body, you're losing sleep, all these different things. And the person that you're building resentment or the place that you're building resentment against, they don't even know. And so I learned that one, I don't have to be in these places. And two, I get to confront conflict as it comes up. I definitely, um, I'm not afraid of conflict. If conflict comes, I, I wait, I, I'm there. You know, I'm a two on the Enneagram and twos can go to eight. That's the challenger, the defender. So I'm not afraid of conflict, but I don't generally initiate it. Um, and sometimes standing up for myself will result in conflict. So I've had to learn that conflict doesn't mean that I'm being mean or I don't have to be particularly angry, but I get to express myself. And that's been very helpful, which led to another takeaway, which is I refuse to be in intimate relationships with people who are not actively doing their own healing work. That was a big one, y'all. I refuse to be in intimate relationships with people who are not actively doing their own healing work. So a few nuances. That doesn't mean I'm not in a relationship with them at all, but not intimate relationships. Um, Meaning I am not going to be open necessarily as open and vulnerable and bringing myself fully. If I know that a person is not in a healthy uh, position to receive all that I have to give, then they're not giving me something healthy back. The other part is... I don't get to determine what it looks like for that person to be actively doing their work. And I I don't intend to. I don't want to. I'm not saying that has to be therapy. I'm not saying that has to be retreats. I'm not saying that has to be an attitude of gratitude journal. I don't get to determine that. But what I will say, if if a person can't help me understand what that journey looks like for them and how they are actively pursuing healing for these wounds that they have, then that lets me know that, you know, it does, maybe it's not a priority for them right now. I don't, I'm not judging it. I'm just setting the boundary for myself. And I've taught on boundaries countless times this year. And one of the biggest things that I want people to take away with boundaries are boundaries are about us. They're not about the other person. If you say to yourself, I got to set a boundary. And then the next thing you say is how you got, how someone else has to stop doing something. That's not a boundary. That's control. I can't control nobody else. But what I can do is put a boundary in place that protects me and contains me. So those are huge for me. Anything to add on that? I know one of your favorite sayings was hurt people, hurt people. They do. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the thing, though. Hurt people don't know they're hurting people. Hurt people are just trying to protect themselves. And sometimes that protection hurts others. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is not an attempt at perfection for myself or anyone else. It's simply just to say that's that's the boundary and standard I have for myself. And maybe later down the line, when, you know, that doesn't mean a relationship can't resume or anything, but it just means that's a decision I've made for myself. And that goes for people, places and things, right? Not just sometimes interpersonal, but I'm not going to be in a relationship with an organization, for example, mm-hmm. that's not actively moving towards healing for the organization or the people in it. So that, that's been important to me. Um, writing big takeaway this year is how impactful writing is for me as a, not just a way to express myself, but I truly believe that part of my calling 
that uh, I'm living out is to put my story in writing. And so <laughs> um, I, I participate in with an organization here in Cincinnati called Women Writing for a Change. Highly recommended. Uh, look them up online. Because of COVID, now they have virtual offerings, which means that people can uh, participate no matter where you are. Um, it's a right. It's a writing circle, ritual, community, things like that. I hesitate to say class. People think class like they're teaching you writing skill. It's not really about that, but it is a um, a beautiful community of writers. It is women writing for a change. A lot of the classes are for women and those who identify as women, but they do have um, open gender classes uh, that they have. So please check it out. What I have found and what I did this year is I fell in love with my writing voice. I love my writing. I really do. It's good. Um, yeah, I like my style. I like how I communicate. There are some things that I write and I read it later. And honestly, I'm like, wow, that was brilliant. That was really good. <laughs> you know, and that's not an arrogance. That's just acknowledging the gift. But then I got stuck because then I'm like, oh, when, when I'm free writing, can't touch it, man. Good it's go. some good stuff. <laughs> the second I sit down and say, this is for the book, frozen can't. I get stuck. I get in my own head. I get anxious. And so I had to just, I had to psych myself out of it. Forget it. I'm not writing for the book. I'm just getting the stories out, <laughs> get the stories out. And then I can later go back and do some of the technical stuff. And since I've made that up in my mind, and I just need to get the stories out. Um, my writing, um, my writing practice has become much more consistent and my production is bigger. So I'm saying on the record, because this is how Shonda flows. The book is coming out in 2021. That's for you, Vicky. <laughs> yes, Vicky. Y'all will hear from Vicky in a couple weeks. Uh, Vicky is on it. She like, yo, when is this book coming out? Um, and, and, and she also said, what is the book about? So the book is part memoir. It is my story. Um, here's what's happened in my life. Here are the lessons I've learned from what happened. Here's how it played out in my life. And here's how I started to heal those wounds. So it's part memoir, part self-help workbook, right? I want people to be able to do the same. So there is that information. And I'm putting it out there because one thing I can say, and this has come up again this year, is when Shonda says she's going to do it, she does it. Um, I'm usually very, like, I'm patient. This isn't rash, like... This isn't impulsive. I need to get it done. And I I need deadlines and timelines sometime. And since I can remember when I set my mind to something, I, I did it. And so I'm thankful for that. Um, there are a lot of lessons that I can say I've learned this year. Um, I learned that cancer sucks. It's impacted my life personally in ways that, yeah, I've lost many people. To cancer and others have been impacted. So cancer sucks. Um, my god sister, every year, it didn't happen this year, I don't think, but every year she does a benefit called middle finger to cancer. Um, and I've always supported her. It just took on a whole new meaning this year for me. Um, I've 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 learned that it's important for me to um be honest about my call. So this year is the first year that I've said multiple times out loud where people can hear that I'm a prophet. I frankly hate saying it out loud because I've seen what people have done with that word, with that title, with that call. 
Um, I think it's important for me to say I don't want to be a prophet, <laughs> and I never <laughs> wanted to be one. Um, but apparently, that that's that's kind of who you are. Why 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 I was chosen, I guess. Um, but I also say I didn't want to be an entrepreneur, and here I am. So I I stand boldly in my call and office as a prophet. Um, and for the record, that don't mean fortune telling. Doesn't mean telling you what's going to happen. Just means that I am a vessel and mouthpiece for God. He speaks directly to me and I say what he says. And then the caveat, I sometimes cuss. That ain't him. That's me. I'm just being real with that. Um, my work as moving forward is I'm called to influencers. People who make, um, whose day-to-day decisions make an impact on the world and they don't even know it. I know that my work, um, is called towards them. So that's where I'm moving. Um, and I think the final thing that I'll just share is um, towards some of my end of the year reflection, what I realized is somewhere along the line, whether this year or over the last couple of years, is I got the order of how things should be reversed. I moved into this space where I was like, I got it. I got it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. Shonda's going to do it. Shonda got it. Right? Now, I know that for... I, where it comes from is I spent the majority of my life doing things on my own. Even when people were connected to me and thought they were doing things, I was really doing things on my own, or at least it felt that way. So I get how I got here. I was doing it by myself. Um, and then when I got to the end of my rope and I could no longer do it for myself, then I would reach out to connections. Like who can I collaborate with? Who can be a resource for me? Who can help me? And then at the end of that, if things still weren't moving or progressing, then I would go, okay, God, help me. Can you help me? And what I realized is I wasn't doing it because I consciously was saying like, I can do it on my own. I don't need you, God, all those things. Nope. I just moved into that. I got to do it by myself. What I'm committed to is I'm committed to putting things back the way it's supposed to be. That when I take the pressure off of me having to have all the answers and do it myself, and I allow myself to just receive from God like I always have, when I realize that he will be with me on my path, but I've got to figure it out, that I can just move and be led, that's how I got here. No need to switch up the formula now, right? So I have this understanding that moving forward doesn't require prediction, just surrender. So a big lesson for me that I'm hoping any of these were helpful for you, or I could have just been talking and you were listening, (laughs) but I surrender. I do. I've come into a space of surrender. Surrender does not mean inactive. Surrender doesn't mean a lot. It doesn't mean giving up. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means I'm no longer going to waste energy, effort, and resources trying to control things that are outside of my control. And now that I have made this decision to surrender, I feel so much better about what lies ahead. Um, It's not even funny. So those are just some of my takeaways of 2020. Any concluding thoughts for you? I would say some of the words for 2020 for you. Um, You mentioned curiosity, healing, surrender. Um, Yeah, I think those are the words that I have for you that you can kind of take and move forward into 2021 with. Yeah. Let me tell y'all, if y'all ain't got a partner that you can do life with, um, I highly, highly recommend that's something you be open to. 
we talked the other day, like we don't really have spouses. I mean, I guess he's my spouse and I'm his spouse, but that's not how we look at it. We are legit life partners. Hotness. Hotness. So, um, gratitude, you all gratitude. Um, we, at the time of this recording are pretty close to 9,000 streams or downloads of the podcast. We reached 5,000 in October. And so close to doubling that, um, in a very short period of time, I have so much gratitude. Thank you for every single person. You have to make a decision to play a podcast, you know, just turn on the radio and it happens to be there. So thank you for those who trusted me and my voice to accompany you in whatever you're doing. I thank you. I hope that despite how tough 2020 has been, that you too can sit and reflect on uh, what you're taking away. My final thing is that my birthday is December 28th. So when you're listening to this, as it comes out <laughs> in first, you will be right on the, my birthday. And I like that my birthday is so close to the end of the year because I reflect on the calendar year and my year of life. And I guess my my period word that I would put here is gratitude. As always, I want to thank Trey Angel for providing the music for the Labors of Love podcast. To my guest, my producer, and my husband, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media. And to you, my guest, for tuning in. If you want to reach out, you got uh, suggestions for content, or you just want to talk to me about how my podcast impacts you, please reach out www.thelaborsoflove.com. We're on all the major social media outlets. Guess what, y'all? We got an Instagram page specifically for the podcast now. Uh, Don't forget to follow the LOL pod. Don't forget our YouTube channel. And as always, give us that five-star rating, review, and share the podcast. Until we connect again in 2021, you all be well.